command to go. Welcome everyone, I'm Pastor Cameron, and my microphone is loud! Hallelujah! <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, Lord, for your mercy. Uh, Father, thank you for that you promise that you are here when we gather together in your name, that you're present and uh, we just recognize and welcome your presence. Lord, we honor your presence. <laughs> more, Lord. More. Come, come with greater manifestation of your presence. Lord, we want to feel you. We want to know you. Uh, we want to be intimate with you. We want to hear your voice. Lord, we want to hear your word. We want to see this world. We want to see our lives changed and this world changed. We want to see our city changed. We want to see our families changed, our children changed. Father, and we believe that the source and the power for change is You, Lord. And so we welcome You and we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Wow, that was a powerful worship service. And uh, it's exciting. Glad to see you all here this morning. Don't you love this weather? How about we vote and just get rid of February? <laughs> All right, I'm ready to be done with February. Well, hey, we only got what one more day, so we can. Only... March is almost here. We heard songbirds this morning. My sons and I, we walked out and there were songbirds. I'm like, that means it's close, guys. So, <laughs> all right. The mission of our church is to live the great commandment and the. Fulfill the Great Commission. That's what we've been looking at. We've looked at the historical uh, context for that, the biblical context. We've talked about what Jesus meant by this command. We've talked about the idea of both having authority and power to fulfill this command. And today I just want to spend a little bit of time kind of talking about what does it look like to be a Great Commission Christian? Okay, what does it really look like? How can we uh, implement it in our day? Uh, this command to go. And Jesus said it in Matthew 28:18. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. <clears throat> and in Acts uh, this commission is restated in a briefer but uh, uh, poignant way. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says that you shall receive power, again speaking to his disciples, just before he ascends up into heaven. He says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit uh, has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And again, we talked about Kind of the meaning of that went into depth last week. If you missed it, you can listen to the podcast and get the notes online. <clears throat> Concerning this verse in, in Acts, uh, uh, a reference book I, or source I use, uh, uh, Robertson's Word Pictures, describes this event of Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives when He says this uh, verse in Acts, when He addresses His disciples that you shall receive power and the Holy Ghost is upon you. He says, Jesus is standing on Mount Olive as He points to Jerusalem. Listen, He was ge- geographically there on a hill. And He says, you'll be My witnesses in Jerusalem. Right? So He's standing right there in Judea, in Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. Okay, and and <clears throat> the commentator goes on. He says this program still beckons us on to world conquest for Christ. How do you like that? 
<laughs> world conquest. The Acts, the book of Acts, okay, themselves form the best commentary on these words. And the words themselves might be given as the best summary of the book of Acts. Okay? The events in the book of Acts follow this outline. Jerusalem to the end of chapter 7 with the martyrdom of Stephen. The scattering of the saints to Judea and Samaria in chapter 8. The conversion of Saul in chapter 9. The spread of the Gospel to Romans and Caesarea by Peter in chapter 10. To the Greeks in Antioch in chapter 11. And finally, Paul's world tours and arrest and arrival in Rome in chapters 11-28. through 28. So Jesus says this at the beginning of Acts. And then Acts, that's really the, the, the lead sentence, you know. The, 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 what do you call that? The thesis for the book of Acts. Alright? And then it's fulfilled. We see it uh, flowing out from there. But you see, the, the book of Acts is the beginning of the works of the apostles. And we're still doing them. Okay? We're still going to the ends of the earth. And so it beckons us on to this world conquest for Christ. This is the, the age that we're in today is the fulfillment of this. So to understand how to be a great commission Today, in our day, we want to look at how the, these first disciples heard this commission. And uh, how did they see it as part of their worldview? How did they interpret it or integrate it into their lives and their cultures? All right, To understand, <clears throat> what I want to do is take a few minutes and try to get into the brain of you know, Peter, John, uh, 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 you know, later Paul, and, and Thomas, and, and all those Andrew. <clears throat> when they heard Jesus say these words, how did they hear it? We've all heard these words so many times. Alright? And you interpret it into a 21st century American context. Because you're 21st century Americans, most of you. You know? Uh, <laughs> And we like that, don't we? We like our foreigners that are with us. No, <laughs> Graham's not here. I'm just picking on him. <laughs> but he's actually an American citizen now. Praise God. Um, <clears throat> yeah. He converted him. <laughs> well, what did the disciples hear? See, what, what did they hear? What's the context? And understanding their context a little bit will help us integrate it into our context. Because they heard this, and then they had to walk away and going, they went and walked away and was like, well, what did Jesus mean by that? You know, and they actually went in the room and prayed about it for ten days. <clears throat> so the Holy Ghost came, and then they got it. Alright? <clears throat> to understand how they heard it, we have to understand two things that would have been dominant in the minds of these early Christians. And those two things were the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Pentecost. Alright? Passover and Pentecost. Everybody say Passover, Passover. and Pentecost. <clears throat> Let me read from a commentary and then I'm going to launch off from that. Um, <clears throat> at Passover... The Israelites were delivered from Egyptian bondage. This was a type of the slavery in which the human race uh, were to Satan and to sin. Passover was a celebration of the Exodus, the deliverance. At the Passover, the very same time, Jesus Christ, who was typified by the Passover lamb, was sacrificed for the sin of the world. And by this sacrifice, redemption from sin and Satan is now procured and proclaimed. 
On Pentecost, God gave his law on Mount Sinai. Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, is a celebration of the giving of the law on Sinai and everything that happened on Mount Sinai. Accompanied with thunderings and lightning. On Pentecost, same day, same, you know, a couple thousand years later, but on the Feast of Pentecost, God sent down His Holy Spirit like a rushing mighty wind. And tongues of fire sat upon each disciple in order that by His influence, Holy Spirit's influence, the new law and light and life may be promulgated, can't say that word well, and established. Thus the analogy between the Egyptian bondage and the slavery occasioned by sin, the deliverance from Egypt and the redemption from sin, the giving of the law with all of all of its emblematic accompaniments, and the sending down of the Holy Spirit with its symbols of light and life and power has been exactly preserved. Alright? So there's a comparison here. At the Jewish Passover, Christ was degraded, humbled, crucified, put to death. On the following uh, following festival of Pentecost, He was highly glorified. And the all-conquering, ever-endearing might of His kingdom then commenced. The Holy Spirit designed all of these analogies to show that through all the preceding ages, God had the Gospel continually in view. Alright? And that the old law and its ordinances were only designed as preparatives for the new. Alright, so there's a direct correlation here. If you can, uh, I hope I'm not getting too deep or too thick too early. <laughs> but <clears throat> I had never really put these together in, in such a powerful way. I came across this actually quite a while ago as I was preparing for this series that there was a, this correlation. Because I always knew that Jesus was a Passover lamb and that he was crucified on Passover. It was a Passover feast. And, and we celebrate that each time we do communion, which is, uh, <clears throat> is remembering and, and, and uh, proclaiming Christ's death. And it's, it's very similar to the, the, the feast of Passover. And Christ came and fulfilled what was initially uh, set up as the festival way back when they uh, uh, were brought out of Egypt with Moses. And then, you know, a lot of times we don't know as much about Pentecost. We think, oh, Pentecost is the coming of the Holy Spirit. But Pentecost had been celebrated for all those years as a celebration in the Jewish culture of the giving of the law and that experience when they were at Mount Sinai and Moses went up on the mountain for, for all those days and received the Ten Commandments and came back down. And so there's a parallel. These two great, the two greatest historical events that shaped the entire Jewish culture. Okay? The two things. The Exodus, which was celebrated in the Feast of Passover, uh, was all about freedom from slavery and rescue through the supernatural intervention of God. Right? Separation from Egypt and the establishment of the identity of, of the Hebrew nation. Up until that time, they were just all mixed in with the Egyptians and had become slaves. And God pulled them out. 
And that was huge. And then at Sinai, <clears throat> Mount Sinai, when, when Moses received the Ten Commandments, you know, God was present there. You know, He inhabited the mountain. Moses called it the mountain of God. And <clears throat> he went up into the cloud and spent time there. And, and all of the, you know, the giving of the Ten Commandments, but all of the law. And all, and really that symbolizes or represents all of that which came through Moses. Alright? And so all of the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the, the commandments, <clears throat> the law, and the history associated with uh, Moses, what, what was established there? It was the defining of the entire culture, the law, the morality, the social order, every aspect, listen, every aspect of their entire belief system was built upon that epic event. Alright? And as you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, but especially through the Old Testament, they're constantly referring back to what happened in the Exodus and at Sinai and in the wilderness. Alright? They're constantly referring back. Why? Because that was the basis. That's the foundation. That's where it, it defined who they were. Alright? It was the establishment of who they were. So with the Exodus, it was God's direct intervention of God with man. God revealed Himself to the Hebrews, to this nation, really a new nation, pulled out from the Egyptians, pulled out from the world, and brought out, separated. And once that, that, that deliverance happened, supernaturally, uh, they actually were complaining about it. Well, they were, I don't know if you read that story. They're like, enough of these plagues. <laughs> God wasn't done. It's like his program started. He got them out. But then they got them out and he settled them down at the mountain and he taught them his law. He delivered the law. And he was with you and he wrote the commandments with his own finger, it says. And he showed Moses, he revealed Moses all of, of what God happened. Now listen, these two correlations. Now these had just happened. When Jesus says this to the disciples, go into all the world, or be my witnesses in Jerusalem, alright? He was saying that just days before uh, Pentecost and just a little over a month after Passover was, was celebrated. And in both of these feasts, all of Jerusalem was transformed. I mean, all faithful Jews, adult Jews, came from wherever they were to that city for these feasts. <clears throat> and they would have incredible celebrations. It was a centerpiece of their culture. All right, and so it had been a little over a month, <clears throat> a month and a half since Passover was the main feast, and now it's the feast of Pentecost, also a feast of harvest. Kind of interesting. Uh, and Jesus said, "Go wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit." Well, it was during the feast of Pentecost, the cities filled with people from all over the. The civilized world, Jewish believers and converts to Judaism that come to here, and this is where, like, um, what's his name? The guy who talked to uh, the uh, Egyptian, <coughs> uh, going back, not the Egyptian, Philip, yeah, who spoke to the uh, eunuch. You know, why was the eunuch there? Because of Pentecost, because of one of the feasts. He had come to Jerusalem because he was a convert, alright? And he was interested. And so they came from all over the world. And so the disciples heard this command 
in a particular context. Alright? The context being, <clears throat> Passover was just finished, and they saw in Passover their, who they thought was going to be the Redeemer, who they thought was going to establish a world kingdom, crucified, dead, and buried. Ah! We didn't get it. You know? And then he rises from the dead. Wow! And then he stands, he says, listen, you're going to receive power to take my kingdom to the ends of the world and conquer the world. When? It happened on Pentecost. Alright? These were not insignificant historical details. They were monumental to the early Christians. Alright? And to understand how these two events should affect us, we need to have at least a basic understanding of how they may have affected the early Christians. I was trying to think of a parallel in our culture that might communicate the idea. Uh, for Americans, this may not be the best, but it's the best I came up with. Alright? The Exodus would be compared to Columbus discovering America. Alright? It's like, how significant is that to us as Americans? Alright? That, that, that America was discovered by Columbus, you know, in what, 1693? What's the... I don't know what it was. I have no idea. In the past. <laughs> we know it happened though, right? Columbus <laughs> Columbus sailed the ocean blue. I don't know. I missed that in, that, in grade school. <laughs> I'm not good with rhymes and poems. <laughs> I mean, that's like big. Without that happening, America wouldn't have been <clears throat> uh, uh, discovered. And Sinai, I'm like, well, what's the parallel of that? And for Americans, I think it would be like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. You know? The giving of the written code that defines our, our culture and our civilization, our form of government. And if you don't, if you take away Columbus, and if you take away the Constitution, and, you know, we, America just doesn't exist, right? There is no America. Those events didn't happen. Everything that we define as America just never happened. Alright? That's how fundamental that these events were, if you take away the Exodus from the Jewish history, there is no Jewish history. It doesn't happen. You take away Mount Sinai from, from the Old Testament, there is no Old Testament. You take away Moses and God's revelation to Moses, there is no Jewish religion. There is no promised Messiah. Okay? And so it's core. And Jesus comes and... He doesn't actually redefine the meaning of those festivals. Okay. He doesn't. He fulfills them. Alright? He, he redefines them in the understanding of the disciples. But He didn't redefine them. This is where some theologians have erred grievously. Because He changed the disciples' minds. He did not change His mind. Alright? <laughs> <laughs> he fulfilled His promise in sending the Redeemer to deliver mankind just as He said He would. And then He said to these disciples, His followers, now go and tell the world. 
and I'm coming back. <laughs> so this was revolutionary to the first uh, Christians that heard this. It, it redefined the meaning of these events and these, these things that define their culture and their experience and their histories. And no longer did, they, did, did Passover and the Exodus merely represent something that happened thousands of years ago. Okay, as a promise of something to come, but it now was something fulfilled in the person, in the life of Jesus Christ. Okay, and that the Exodus brought freedom from Egypt uh, for the Hebrew nation. Jesus' crucifixion as the Passover Lamb of God brings freedom to each and every individual that follows Him. Alright? Likewise, for the disciples, Sinai, the Feast of Pentecost, represented the giving of the law and the establishment of God's Word as the basis for the entire society. Now they see that God has taken that experience that Moses had on the mountain and brought it into the lives and very bodies of all those who believe. Alright? What Moses experienced on the mountain has come down into a personal experience with each and every believer. Jesus said this. It happened. Peter explained it in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 39. I'm going to read it. So Peter said, you've got to read Acts if you haven't lately, in the whole story of what happened, the rushing mighty wind that came down and the disciples experienced um, uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised and they spoke with tongues and he, and he went out on the porch and he preached the gospel and thousands got saved and, and, the, and the initial uh, birth of the church. <clears throat> Peter explained uh, in that he was on the porch uh, on the balcony preaching to the, the crowd. He said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of, of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this was on Pentecost. This was in the midst of the Pentecost feast. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So just as the giving of the law defined the Hebrew nation, the giving of the Holy Spirit, all right, and the promise of God's law written on our heart through the work of the Holy Spirit defines the kingdom of God established by the Great Commission. Right? This is how the early Christians would have, uh, uh, have seen this. But how significant this was. How, how uh, uh, radical and uh, uh, transformational they would have seen it to their understanding of everything. Right? It, it ultimately, this means that no part of their life their society, their worldview, their understanding of things past, present, future, things near and far was left unaffected. Alright? It was a complete revolution in their understanding of everything. Because Christ came as the Passover Lamb. And the Holy Spirit came to fulfill the Pentecost. And that's why today, if you've mentioned Pentecost, people don't think of the giving of the law, do they? No. It's the giving of the Holy Spirit. They celebrated Pentecost for, what, almost 2,000 years before the Holy Spirit came. Alright? It was the fulfillment. And from that point on, they saw these things differently. And the whole New Testament is really an explanation 
of how it integrates and how that transformation, books of Romans and Ephesians and Galatians and Hebrews especially, all explain how they correlate. <clears throat> Ultimately, this means uh, <clears throat> that their entire life was uh, affected and changed. What it means for us is that no part of our lives, our society, our view of our world, our worldview, our understanding of things past, things present, and things future, things near, or things far, can be left unaffected. <laughs> amen. Kathy yeah, Devil says amen. <laughs> like them, we need to have a revolution in our way of thinking and acting. Like them, we need to see the establishment of the kingdom of God to be the fulfillment of all history. The culmination of all truth and the purpose of all existence. Is that radical or what? You know what the purpose of existence is? The establishment of the kingdom of God through the declaration of the gospel. Okay? And that's what you are called to do. Boom. Alright? So what does it look like? That's, that's the understanding. That, I think, may have communicated how radically this impacted Peter and John and Andrew you know, and James and, and Judas, not the one that betrayed Jesus. <laughs> and all the others that heard this and, and then they went out and changed the world. <clears throat> they responded to this because they realized the significance of it. That it was, it was a upheaval of their whole world system. And it needs to be for us. It really does. Even though we've heard this and we've been born into a culture that's used to it, listen, our world is not under and not demonstrating the principles of the kingdom of God. Alright? And we need to go and make disciples. So what does it look like to be a great commission Christian? I, I just came up with six things. I want to share these. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, I, some people want more precise applications. I think, you know, these are general applications that you need to figure out how to integrate into your own life. Because it's going to be different for each one of you. You know? Uh, these are things you need to be doing. I need to be doing. We need to be doing. The church needs to be doing. We need to be living in the authority of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Alright? We need to live in His authority authority of Jesus, and we need to be very familiar and comfortable moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Alright? Not just on Sunday morning. Sunday morning's great. Sunday morning's rehearsal. Okay? <clears throat> you need to move in the Holy Spirit when you're at work. And prophesy over people. You don't have to say, thus saith the Lord, and spit on them. <laughs> You can if you want. If it works, go for it. You know? <laughs> Come on! We need the Holy Spirit. Alright? We need the Holy Spirit. Was it Paul that walked in the shadow, touched people, and they were healed? Peter did that. Paul touched handkerchiefs and sent them to different cities. Handkerchief! They get healed. Here. Take this. Go lay it on the sick person. They'll get healed. You know? And thank God we're living in a day where there's a whole bunch of us that say, 
That can still happen. In fact, it is happening. You know? <laughs> it's happening. People are being healed. Supernatural. Uh, <clears throat> I just heard this. Is, you can get this information. It just came out. The big, uh, All-State Arena in Chicago. Holds 18,000. You hear about it? Jesus Culture. Bill Johnson. Uh, when is it? March? August of this year. 18,000 people are going to fill that stadium and their purpose is to see healing and miraculous uh, supernatural manifestations of God's power in a stadium. you know. And they pick Chicago. I'm like, cool. <laughs> a couple hour drive. It's close. Thank God. Let's go. But let's not do it just in the stadium. The whole point is to be equipped. We need to be comfortable. <clears throat> we need to be great commandment motivated. Great commandment motivated. Listen, why are we out to conquer the world? Because we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. And this is huge. We understand that the motivation is love. Alright? That's the beginning and that's actually the end result. That's our reason and that's our goal. Alright? So conquering is not... You know, some form of um, colonialism, spiritual colonialism, right? Where we just take over for power and control or money or influence. No, it's we go out and we give so that they can come and experience the love of God. So, great commandment motivated. We need to have a worldwide perspective. Alright, number three, worldwide perspective. Not self-centric, not America-centric. I love America. It's a great place to live. <clears throat> it will. It came and it will go. Alright? And there's other great nations too. And maybe we've had the best or maybe a really good system. But it's not the kingdom of God. Alright? <clears throat> and frankly, you know, the rest of the world, yeah, they like our music and our TV shows, but they have their own lives going on. And they think we're kind of wacky in a lot of ways. <laughs> but it's not self-centric. It's not America-centric. We need to be Christ-centered. All right. We need to have our lives centered on Christ's activity worldwide. All right. And I, I really think this is important. To be a Great Commission Christian, you need to know what's going on worldwide within the kingdom. Doesn't it radically change you when you get a view? Look, Adam, and then you go to China. When you go outside of the U.S. and you see God do stuff, those of you who have gone to other nations, you come back and you see America differently. All right. Well, you don't have to even go to those places. It's great if you can. You know, read reports. Last week I mentioned the the Afghan that was facing. A, you know, he was going to be hung because he became a Christian. Thank God he got released. Hallelujah. Him and his family actually were evacuated. And they had the government gave in and, and let him go. Praise God. Hallelujah. He just got saved. All right? He's not hung. <laughs> uh, let's give him a hand. Praise God. God delivered this Afghani that became a believer. <clears throat> There's about a dozen other already sentenced to death. He happened to get released because he got press. All right? There's other dying. So we have to have a, a worldwide perspective. Um, Uh, being aware geographically, historically, and socially to the impact of the Great Commission. 
In other words, have a historical understanding of what God has done, what God is doing, as well as geographically and his, you know, historically and how societies are affected. And, and, and get the, integrate it, not just from a political viewpoint, but from a Great Commission viewpoint. Jesus said in John, 35, uh, John 4.35, Do not say there's still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. Okay, So be aware. Look to the world and, and to Kalamazoo. To Kalamazoo. 153,000. I just read a report, another report that showed... 153,000 people in our city, our county, technically, have no association with any religious system at all. And that's a conservative number. 153,000. The word they use is unclaimed. I claim them! For Jesus' name! Jesus claims all 153. Boom! Change the graph. (laughs) Some account... Some uh, Numbers, guys, got to count them first. So let's see them fill the churches. Listen, it can happen like that. We just believe and start living this way. Integrated, how to be a Great Commission Christian, number four. Integrated, interdependent with the local church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so the local, the church has this authority. Jesus is all about building His church. Every mission, when we are missions-minded, every mission is successful only to the degree that it establishes the local church. And every church is successful only to the degree that it establishes world missions. Alright? They're hand in hand. We don't go out and win souls and leave them orphans. We win souls and plant churches so that people can grow and be discipled. <clears throat> Active, number five, not passive. You need to be, how to be a Great Commission Christian. You don't sit back and wait for someone else to do it. You take up, you take up the call. You hear it. You get filled with the Holy Spirit and you realize this is for you. Alright? For your church, yes. For the, People in ministry, yes, but it's for you. There's a dimension that you and you only uh, can do. There's someone that only you can reach. And you need to be actively doing it. Locally, regionally, and to the ends of the earth, we must find ways to reach out. Investing into yourselves as well as... uh, Investing into others as well as building up yourself. Uh, Inwardly secure and growing. Outwardly courageous and going. Alright? Makes sense? Last thing, number six, everyone discipling one. At least. <laughs> everyone. To be a disciple means to go make disciples. You're not a disciple if you're not making a disciple. Period. Do you understand that? Is that simple enough? Alright? That's not my idea. It's Jesus' idea. You don't like it? Complain to Him. You're not a disciple unless you're making a disciple. Because disciples are told to make disciples. So, you're not a disciple, I'm not a disciple, unless I'm making a disciple. What does that mean? I'm training, I'm leading, I'm equipping, I'm explaining, I'm being an example to somebody else. I'm finding ways to 
expand the kingdom of God. And if there's no one following me, I go out and find someone. There's 153,000 of them within 20 minutes of where you're sitting. There's one of them that will listen to you. Give it a try. Alright? There's someone out there begging for someone to come and explain to them why their life is so broken. And it's you. Go. 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 Listen, and this is just concerning our church. I, I love when churches do programs and do ad campaigns. They're great. But I didn't hear Jesus say, go do an ad program. Alright? You know, I love big buildings. I'd like to have a bigger building. But I didn't say, Jesus say, go build a big building and they will come. What did He say? He said to a ragtag group of followers that were dealing with doubt in their own hearts to go. Go. Individuals just like you didn't understand everything. Just like you, go. That's it. Go. Make this, so the strategy for growth for New Day Community Church is you. Alright? It's you. It's you going out and telling somebody else. And them telling somebody else. Listen, we need to embrace this as a church. Alright? And this city is ready. This nation is ready. This generation is ready for an answer. And you've got the answer. Go make disciples. Alright. All right.